Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so today I'm planning on sharing with you my whole story on mold illness, symptoms that I had, what's been going on over the past few years in particular, um, and why this is so relevant in terms of my health history, because I really think this is one of the major um, puzzle pieces, if not the root cause of a lot of different things from acne, food sensitivities, to PCOS even. I really feel like it could be driven by mold. There's never just one thing, so it has been compounded over the years by stress, overexercise, birth control pills, antibiotics, food poisoning. But I think this has been a problem for a long time now. And I have recorded this introdu- introduction separately um, before we get into the episode because the the episode that I'm going to um, kind of phase into was recorded back in February. So I was feeling very emotional that day and I thought I was about to move house around that time. So my plan was to tell you everything and then do a part two sharing about my experience moving and protocols that I've been doing, how I'm planning to recover from this. But because it was a brand new renovation, the place I'm in currently uh, is an old Victorian cotton mill in the northwest of England, but it has been completely gutted inside and refurbished. So that took longer than expected. So we were told originally December, January time, which I kind of knew wasn't going to happen, but I'd already started buying furniture and everything. And I will give the heads up that I was already planning on moving. I arranged this and kind of signed for everything summer of last year. So it's ended up being a whole year before I've I've got to move in. But back in February, when I recorded the podcast that I'm sharing today, I thought I was planning on moving. And then in March, obviously, that was meant to be the time that it was a definite go ahead. But then lockdown hit, so it was pushed back even further. So the date that I actually moved in and slept for the first night, I got the keys the day before, was Friday the 12th of June. Today, when I'm recording this, it's July the 7th. So about three weeks into living in my new place. I am going to record next week and I'll be releasing next week my protocol and part two and everything that I've been doing. So if you do have questions, make sure that you tune into both episodes because I'm, I'm really going to um, share as much as I can. But I thought I'd give you an overview as to how things had changed from February up until I moved in June because a few things did happen, a few incidents. I try to share things when they happen on social media, but sometimes it's hard for me to do that and I like to fully understand and deal with things before I share in detail so if all of this seems like brand new information you had no idea that I was struggling um, particularly the past few months 
I think it's a combination of the lockdown because in the UK, like we couldn't go to gyms or anything like that. I work from home anyway. And a lot of my symptoms did get worse when I left my part-time job about 18 months ago now. That was like a couple of days a week uh, working at a supermarket, customer service. So I would be out of the house, I'd be going to the gym, um, going out with friends, things like that. But when lockdown started at the end of March, I was spending all my day at home. And the weather was pretty warm as well. So obviously the humidity and pollen levels were extremely high. So, so many of my symptoms got a lot worse in March, April, May. And that coincided with the, the COVID situation as well. And I had a few experiences. So one of them was a really bad food reaction and a mast cell um, type issue. So I will give the heads up as well that when I'm sharing about my experience, my symptoms aren't just triggered by mold itself. The mold for me caused an issue with mast cell activation or MCAS it's also known as. So just because you might relate or not relate to certain symptoms, it doesn't mean that you do or don't have mold. Um, I would recommend doing your own research and just understand that it's a little bit more complex in my case because um, I have this histamine and mast cell issue as well, but I think mold is at the root of it. And for more information on these things, you've got episode 78 to listen to on mold and mycotoxins in particular with Dr. Jill Krista. And my recent episode number, oh, that was 72 actually, the one with Jill Krista. And number 78 is the episode with Beth O'Hara on histamine and mast cell activation. So I really recommend listening to those two after this one if you haven't already, because that will give you a heads up as to how all of these things are connected. But back to the chocolate muffin experience. So these things, um, these little cakes, things that I made were made of banana, pretty ripe bananas as well, coconut oil, cacao powder, and honey. So like really great ingredients, all organic. But I made them, if you're, on, if you're watching on YouTube now, they were like tiny, so little tiny round cakes. And I thought, I'll just have one of them, see how I go on. And I knew that I was sensitive to things like banana and chocolate anyway, because my histamine intolerance and I was sensitive to honey and coconut oil because of salicylate issues. But because of the size of them and I was feeling okay that day, so I thought I'd just try it. When I was swallowing it, my throat was literally like closing up and I was like, oh God, this isn't a good sign. But I just continued eating it. I didn't eat any more, thankfully. But that night I woke up with severe itching and I tried to take binders. I tried to take natural antihistamines. I woke up at like 2am and was downstairs drinking Tulsi and nettle tea, trying to bring down my itching and histamine levels because sometimes that works. But this case, it was just so bad. And um, I needed to find some antihistamine pills. So I, I was, I used to live with my parents, so I've recently moved, but I was downstairs trying to look because I don't really have like a medicine cabinet, like traditional pills or anything. So I was looking around trying to find an antihistamine and I was going through all the cupboards, couldn't find anything. So I started crying <laughs> because I was just so tired and desperate. And when you get, I don't know if you've ever been in those situations, but I was just so frustrated. Like, why can I not eat a tiny chocolate muffin that's like zero sugar um, made with these amazing ingredients and I can't even have a bite of that without reacting and I never choose to eat 
any of these other things. So I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. I eventually found half an antihistamine pill just on the um, kind of on the window sills somewhere. I was like, oh my God, this is a savior. And that allowed me to sleep and it calmed things down. But the next day my eyes were puffy and I had a banging headache all day. So real bad reaction to that. I then had another experience with food and with histamine issues. There can be an issue with the food itself or how old the food is. So it's good to eat fresh and um, like once you open something, you, eat, you consume it pretty quickly. So I had these sweet potato wraps that were gluten-free. The brand is B-free if you're from the UK. And I was making chicken wraps with them. Usually I open them and then I keep them in the freezer just to like halt the histamine process because the longer something sits, the bacteria start to proliferate and that causes a greater histamine response. But I forgot to do that. So I just left them on the kitchen cabinet. They weren't out of date or anything, but obviously once you open something, the air gets in there and it can start to cause more histamine release. So I was eating like one a day and they lasted almost a week. And then the longer that happened for, the, the longer I was eating them for, I was getting reactions. So I would get again, itchy skin, headaches, my face was puffy and I had joint pain. So that taught me another lesson with that one. All of these things aren't normal by the way. So these are all as a result of deeper imbalances. So hopefully moving forward, I'm not gonna have to deal with these types of issues. The most concerning and scary thing that happened, I think this was in May, so a few weeks before I did move. Me and my mum went for a walk, so just like a daily exercise, we went for a walk and decided to go to this park or woods that we'd not been in a while. I used to go all the time when I was younger. And recently I've been starting to go again in lockdown because I've not been able to go to the gym. So walking has been my exercise of choice. And my mum had some new sandals on and she didn't want to go too far because they were rubbing her and she was getting a blister. So we got to the park and she said, if you want to go a little bit further and just go around in a circle, go around the woods on the path and come back to me, I'll be waiting here on the bench. And it was like a lovely, amazing sunny day. So I was like, okay, I'll go for a quick walk. because so I wanted to get some movement in because I sat down um, seeing clients all day. So she sat there, waited, and I went off. And she, she also didn't bring her phone because she's like a technophobe. So she, I, she said, don't worry, I'll stay here. I'll not move. So I went off and I went down the wrong path that we'd been going around um, a few weeks prior. So I went down the path and then I thought, okay, it's going to be a little bit too long to leave her sit, sitting waiting for me. So I cut across into the woods um, and thought this will speed things up. And it didn't. So I was seeing, I was like in the middle of all the trees and it looked amazing. It was like untouched, you know, like when there's fresh snow, there was just like fresh leaves everywhere and it's very still and quiet, quiet as I cut through these woods. And it felt like I was walking for an eternity. I don't know how this happened because it was, it's literally the smallest park, the smallest woods, um, like near to where I am. So there's much bigger places. This was like a pretty small place but it felt like I was walking forever. And then I started to get anxiety. So I was like, oh my God, like, where am I? Am I lost? I eventually came to a path and I had no idea where I was. Where I was. So my anxiety got worse and I was kind of like spinning around in circles. But when you're in the middle of huge trees and a forest, everything looks the same. 
And then I came across this rope swing, which I knew, well, we'd been walking past that the whole time and commented on it, like how fun it looks. But I came across this rope swing and I thought I knew the way back from that point. But when I asked people, they were sending me in the opposite direction. I was asking where the park was, where the bench is. And everyone was like, yeah, it's that way. But I was thinking it was the other way. So this was also making me really anxious. I was like, are people wrong? Am I wrong? So I ended up walking around and I started to like panic. And I was thinking I'd been gone for like 30, 40 minutes. In reality, it was like 10 minutes, but I got into like this anxiety mode. And I was thinking about my mum sat there and I was thinking, oh my God, what if I have to go the long way and she sat there and then she moves and then I can't find her. She's not got her phone. So I was in a real panic and I kept seeing the same people. Like I was walking in a circle and I kept seeing the same people pass me. And eventually I asked someone and they said, yes, it's this way. You can follow me. But at that point I like started crying, not in front of the person, but when I saw my mom like sat there, um, I just started crying and I'd gotten like really in a bad situation. And she was like, oh my God, what's happened? Like thinking something bad had happened to me, but I was just like, I can't even think straight. My brain is just not functional anymore. And I was lost in a place that I'd been to many times. It's really small. And this, this just showed that my brain was getting much worse um, when it was locked down and I couldn't get out of the house anymore. So that was pretty concerning with everything. And my mum's been pretty supportive with all of this, but she's feeling guilty and self-conscious that it's the house that was causing an issue this whole time. But I think that really made her worry a little bit. We had a good laugh about it afterwards. Like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like getting lost and crying. But when I look, when I look at that, that's like not normal. And it felt like I had dementia or Alzheimer's. And I felt like a eight-year-old person who goes to go to the supermarket and then they get lost in the middle of nowhere that was a pretty bad situation so then um yeah so that's pretty much all that's happened also an important part actually is in around march april time i think maybe march i think before no maybe like february march time i also had a lime um, panel done blood work because i've had multiple different practitioners and just from what i've read suggest I should get tested for Lyme, Lyme disease. Just because there is such a crossover with some of my symptoms and that condition, there's obviously varying degrees of both mold illness and Lyme disease as people who are literally bed-bound with chronic fatigue and heart problems and all of that. Um, thankfully, that's not the case for me. I think if I maybe would have been older and not have treated my body as well as I have over the past few years, that could potentially be the case or if I went through a massive stress that could be the triggering point so I don't want that to happen but from what I've been reading as well there is a huge crossover with mast cell activation issues and um, histamine and food allergy and reaction type issues with Lyme, Borrelia, Bartonella all of those things so I could get tested with Armin Labs which is a German company I this was before lockdown because I had to go into Manchester to get my blood drawn and within a few days I had my results and Borrelia which is the main bacteria that causes Lyme disease um, it was present so I had some elevations my immune system was also chronically suppressed um, particularly the natural killer cells which are involved in like cancer prevention and killing off some of these infections in the system so that told me that either my immune system was so weak because of the mold 
the, the, the bacteria, the lime that I could have just been exposed to naturally is becoming more of a problem. Or it could also indicate a chronic Lyme or Borrelia infection, and that's causing the immune suppression. So either or. I feel like it could be a part, and I, I think I mentioned it in the, the podcast episode um, shortly, on mold being uh, Lyme being a potential problem because a lot of my health issues worsened when I went to the summer camp in Pennsylvania. And if you look on the map, the northwest of the northeast, sorry, of the states. So Connecticut, New York, and Pennsylvania, they're pretty much Lyme epidemics. But even if I was elsewhere, then we know that Lyme is an epidemic wherever you are, but particularly in those regions. And because I was in a summer camp in the middle of nowhere in the forest, it could be that I got a tick bite. Only, I think, around 30% of people who get bit by a tick have the bullseye rash, which is like a classic sign. So just because I don't remember that doesn't mean that it's not the case. And then I also got really badly bitten by a mosquito when I was staying in, in New York City afterwards. Literally 40 plus bites all over my body. And I remember having some um, diarrhea and kind of illness type symptoms after that for a few days. Not too bad. Just kind of like a histamine reaction afterwards. We know now from research that other vectors, not just ticks, can carry Lyme, Borrelia, Bartonella, Babesia, those types of things. So that could be a part of it. I am eventually going to retest um, my Armin Labs, Labs panel and do some additional co-infections co because I only tested the Borrelia on this one just due to finances. So I'm going to later in the year do a retest, check that my immune system is bouncing back. I'm going to do another mold test at the end of the year as well, just to make sure that my body is detoxing. But even since being here, what, like three weeks this week, I can tell already that I'm getting better because my brain, fun my brain fog is almost non-existent now. Within the week, first week, I could tell a difference just speaking on the phone to someone. I could think again. I was like, oh my God, I'm getting back to normal. My eyes were much brighter and I just feel less inflamed and less puffy. I do, I do know that it can take a while, so I'm not going to kind of rush the process. I've actually made some mistakes over the past couple of days with my detox protocol, which I'm going to share with you next week in next week's episode. But I just wanted to give you that overview because things have changed since February. So now let's get into the podcast that I recorded many months ago, right before lockdown. So a lot has changed in the world since that moment. It is quite a full on one and I get a little bit emotional in it. So just heads up. But I hope this maybe resonates with some and gives you some insight as to what you're dealing with. But in that same note, don't self-diagnose and think that you have the problem because maybe you're dealing with brain fog or fatigue. They could be due to many other things. But hope you enjoy the podcast. Strange thing, enjoy. I hope you find it informative, let's say that. So I'll shut up now and you can listen to the, the full episode. And stay tuned for next week, where I'll be sharing much more about what I've experienced um, within the first month of living in my new home. Hi guys, welcome back. Today I'm doing a bit of a personal episode recording on my mold journey. This is going to be a part one out of two, because there's so much to cover. And I think this episode's going to be pretty long. I'll try and keep it as short and sweet as possible, but I've got a lot to talk about. This subject isn't spoken about much or discussed. 
you may have been following along with my journey on Instagram. If not, you can find me at Viva Natural Health. And I haven't gone into it in much detail just yet, bearing in mind that I'm recording this uh, on the 29th of Feb, 2019. I'm not sure when this is going to be released, but I'm going to do a part one and part two. So you can listen to part two next week. And that'll be showing about how I'm going to overcome this problem because I'm a bit of a um I'm a bit of a warrior, if I do say so. Um when I have a health issue, I'm like the detective. I need to figure out everything that's going on. I need to fix the problem naturally. Not that I'm against conventional medication, but it's just part of my personality, and I just truly believe that everything is everything is um curable. I'll, use that term lightly but everything I can overcome with natural medicine I truly believe that but with mold I'm still learning a lot of this myself and bear that in mind throughout the whole episode if I get some uh, statistics or anything wrong like please forgive me don't take everything to heart I'll definitely have an expert on if I haven't already to talk more about this but in this episode I'm sharing more about my journey how I figured out that I had mold illness as my root cause um, and signs that I've had along the way and I really thought that this was something that I'd only been dealing with recently but even looking back to childhood it could be something that I was dealing with from right from being younger which is weird to think because I always thought I was really healthy but just when I started to learn about some of the symptoms I'd brush them off as normal so we'll get into that not not massive health issues um, that I was hospitalized for or anything but just minor things that people just think are childhood issues and everyone gets that definitely not could be a sign of imbalance and I'm still currently in my home which is part of the problem I'm going to be moving hopefully in the next few weeks it keeps getting pushed back which is really testing my patience I was initially told that I'd be moving in December, then it was Jan, then it was Feb. Now it's the end of March, fingers crossed. Hopefully I'm in there by then. But I'm really learning with all this journey to be patient and just stressing out about the situation isn't going to help. But getting out of the mouldy environment really is key. That's number one with any toxicity. Avoid, avoid, avoid. They're the first three recommendations. And then you support detoxification and do all of the regular things that we'd we'd know about. And this move had already been planned back in summer 2019. I was already moving out, but then I discovered that I had the mould and it was just like perfect timing, but now it keeps getting pushed back, which is frustrating, but I'm learning to be patient and just calm myself down. And if you want a deeper dive into my overall health history, when I was focused more on my hormones and my gut health and more of the surface level things, I've come to realise that I wasn't really looking deep enough. So I always talk about the root cause, like is it poor gut health? But what is causing the gut and immune imbalance? It's not just food the majority of the time. It's not just emotional stress the majority of the time. It can be environmental and I've come to recognize that. And even with some clients, I'm starting to recognize, oh, maybe it isn't because she's not eating enough cruciferous vegetables. Maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe she's not getting outside in nature maybe she's struggling with something in her environment that's still driving her health issues so I have episode one of the podcast available for you to listen to but bear in mind I had no idea at the time that I had mold illness mold toxicity um I'll use those terms interchangeably 
there's some different terms like biotoxin illness, mold toxicity, mycotoxins, mold illness, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. They're all pretty much the same thing. It's just that my immune system can't detect mold as a foreign invader like other people can. So 24-25% of the population have a genetic mutation where they can't detect mold and other toxins as a problem. And that causes them to stay in the body. They don't eliminate or detoxify them. And then that can build up and cause problems, suppress the immune system, so many things. But if you want to hear about my journey, just with my hormones, how I lost my period, how my gut health was a mess, listen to that one, episode number one. I'll link that in the podcast. But looking back again, pieces of the puzzle didn't make sense. I got some improvement, but not massively like i cleaned up my diet i restored nutrient deficiencies i supported my adrenals and a lot of my symptoms did improve like my skin got better um my gut was much better i didn't have constipation diarrhea anymore anything like that i wasn't massively bloated after every meal but i still felt like there was some lingering health issue that i hadn't yet i hadn't yet figured out and some people just like deal with that they just think oh this is just how I am it's just always going to have to be that way I'm just one of those people who can't tolerate a ton of foods Um, I always have to be mindful of the the quality of the food that I'm eating I always have to take my supplements but deep down I knew that that wasn't the case because if I stayed away from my supplement and my diet regime and protocol I would get symptomatic and that's not normal the human body should be very resilient and it shouldn't have to constantly have to take these things at the beginning stages yes you do need to be a little bit stricter and be more consistent but as time goes on like I've been doing this for five six seven years now and I should be pretty healthy and things have improved but there's still something blocking so let's start off back at the beginning for me and I'll give you a bit about some of the childhood symptoms and then some of the more recent things that I'm dealing with So I was a natural birth, but I was only breastfed for six weeks. So from the get-go, my immune system was compromised and I was given formula. I think it was just a cow milk um, powder, formula feed. And it wasn't because my mum couldn't breastfeed. It's just because back in the 90s and especially in the UK and the location I was, it wasn't really promoted to do it longer than six weeks. They thought that Oh, all the benefits you'd get them at that point and then from then on it doesn't really matter if you breastfeed or not and this isn't to blame my mum in any way like the my mum's amazing and she didn't know at all that this was causing a problem for me but I think I had a long-term dairy sensitivity and this may have affected my immune system I didn't get all of the support for the the one to two years that's recommended to continue breastfeeding so maybe I was set up in not such great circumstances, but I can't do anything about that. And if the rest of my health was great and I look after myself after that point, maybe it wasn't so much of a problem. But I think this just was just starting me off on a bit of a, a wrong foot. And in childhood as well, I drink a lot of dairy. So every, um, every evening meal that I had, I'd have a glass of milk alongside of it. And when you're sensitive to something, that constant stressor on the system isn't great. And I've always lived on the same street as I am currently. So I still live at home with my parents. I'm 25 for reference at at this current moment. And I've always lived, I live in Lee, Lancashire in the UK. 
and we've always lived on the same street even my dad was brought up on this street and when I was born a couple of years in um, when I was around two three I think my grandparents they swapped houses with my parents so they lived on the end terrace and it was a little bit bigger just more room for me and my brother so we actually swapped houses which is crazy to think but um, I think it just worked out for everyone better so I've always lived in this house for as long as I can remember and maybe it's always been moldy because it's an eight, a late 18 to 19th century house um, so I think like late 1800s early 1900s and it's an old Victorian house and it has a crawl space underneath the floor which connects the whole street we can literally crawl through if we really wanted to and that connects us to the whole entire street which is um, quite a long one and as a child as well I remember having quite a lot of nosebleeds this could be due to other issues as well and I remember jumping on my pogo stick I don't know if you remember those like 90s child throwback but I was in my garden I was just jumping on my pogo stick and then I saw droplets of blood on the floor and then I realized my nose was bleeding. And this happened quite a lot. Just when I was randomly doing something, I didn't injure, injure my nose or anything. But now I know that nosebleeds can be a sign of, yes, things like vitamin C deficiency, um, but also high histamine and also mold toxicity. So has there been water damage for a number of years now? I have no idea and I'm never gonna know, but that maybe was a sign looking back same with fainting and vomiting whenever i got overheated and especially on car trips and travel i would get quite sick a lot so i would overheat in the shower and then i'd pass out or i remember being at the hospital because my brother broke his foot and i fainted because it was like summer and i was we were there for a long time and i got overheated and then i fainted and then they had to take him off the the bed and i had to lie in the bed because um I was unconscious but he had a broken foot so I just remember things like that and being in the car and just being sick all the time fainting quite a lot so after I went swimming I would faint and I just thought they were normal and I was the only one in my family that had issues like that but that seemed to subside after a while um, I remember one particular episode of me projectile vomiting after drinking this particular fizzy drink so like a soda it was called zesty berry and it was like a fanta um the soda fanta they did a, a berry flavor and i was obsessed with it but every time i had it i would projectile vomit i couldn't stop drinking it and then it discontinued after a while i think it must have like some sort of cancer causing chemical in there because it just disappeared after a while but it lit up my brain and i really loved it but it would make me really sick and the sick was like bright purple um and I didn't have any major issues like recurring tonsillitis or migraines or IBS as a child but it was just those little things like that uh, my health issues really started in around um, 17 and 18 so just as a a brief overview of my childhood and I know on certain podcasts I was like yeah I was absolutely perfect in perfect health up until that point but now that I know some of the symptoms that wasn't normal and I just kind of blocked it out of my mind because it wasn't a serious concern but maybe it was a little bit of a sign as well and with the crawl space in my current house um, a few years ago it actually flooded 
I don't know why either the weather was really bad or something burst and the whole crawl space flooded and I remember my dad saying that it was like um really deep and inches of water and he tried to remediate it he thought he dried it up well bearing in mind that mold can grow in 24 to 48 hours so I don't know if it was caught really early but he noticed that and we thought everything was fine afterwards didn't really have any um signs that it was intruding anywhere into the house I think this was around the same time that I went to the US as well around 2014 so I was age 19 at that point and that was the summer that I went to the US I can't remember the dates exactly for when this water damage happened but I'm pretty sure it was around that time so like six seven years ago I'll have to find out but I don't think my dad will really remember and if you've heard my story before, I went to the US, I was a fitness instructor at a children's summer camp in Pennsylvania. And that's when I got really exhausted because I was working out like six, seven hours a day in the, in the intense heat. I was eating really badly because I was trying to be healthy, but the food options were terrible with it being a children's summer camp. And I was on the pill at the time, then I got very bad food poisoning. And maybe when I came home, I think the mold that may have started growing. I'm just speculating here, but this is just what makes sense in my um, belief. I just feel like that's what that's what's happened. And with it being a dark crawl space, these tends to be the places that harbour a lot of mold. So dark, wet, humid environments. And if it was the summer as well, maybe we had a nice summer, and that could have proliferated. And my dad around the same time, again, I think this was around the same time, but my dad started to develop random food allergies. And he really never got sick. He never had a day off work until this happened. But he had like an anaphylactic shock to seafood and chilies and peppers randomly. I think he was on holiday and he had like a seafood platter. And my mum made fajitas one day with some mixed peppers and his like airways swelled up, his face was so puffy. And since that point, he dealt with hives on and off. When he would kneel down on the floor to do some building work, his knees would swell up. Or if he wore something that's too tight, his, um, his skin would get prickly and swollen. If he was in the sun, he would get a heat rash, even if it was um, just a winter's day, but he was outside in the sun, he would have like a sun allergy re reaction. And my mum also developed Hashimoto's a few years ago. It was after a stressful event um, around three to four years ago, I think, maybe up to five years ago, she developed Hashimoto's and had a really um, tough time with her health and lost some weight and developed palpitations and developed joint pain and fatigue and depression. So maybe that was the mold combining with that, I'm not sure. And when I came back from the US, um, that's when a lot of my symptoms developed. So it definitely was the food poisoning that triggered something, but maybe my immune system was already suppressed because of mold. And that, that tends to happen. Mold is usually the trigger for something to worsen. Um, and I think it was the combination of having gut infections. I had parasites. I was on the pill at the time. I was severely nutrient deficient. I was exhausted. But something I want to keep in mind as well, I'm not diving into it just yet because I don't want to stress myself out, but I was 
working in Pennsylvania, which is like the east coast of the US. And I got bit many times whilst at camp. I don't know what by, um, but when I was also in New York, I stayed in an Airbnb. And one evening I got bitten like 40, 50 times by a mosquito. And I woke up in the morning and it was literally head to toe bitten by a mosquito. And I remember seeing it and I re reacted really badly because when I get bug bites, I get really itchy because I have a histamine issue and I've known this for a while now, but they'd swell up. I'd get really bad headaches and itchiness and I just feel absolutely terrible. I like hyper respond to bug bites. And I know that there's a huge connection with Lyme disease and mold toxicity as well. Again, I'm not going to look into it too much, but I just want to um, put it out there. And maybe that's something that will pop up in the future if I do decide to look into it. I don't remember having the bullseye rash. It doesn't have to be from a tick, by the way, if you're thinking, oh, maybe it wasn't, it was a mosquito, like how could that happen? Any vector like that can transmit Lyme and that part. So the, the main part that people know is a problem is Connecticut because there's a town in there called Lyme, Lyme, Connecticut. That's where it was first, I think um, it was first recognized. And Pennsylvania and New York are like right around the same location. So just interesting. And even worldwide, it's a really big problem now, Lyme disease, but especially because I was in that area, a lot of my symptoms developed around that time. I'm not sure. And many of my symptoms, like I said, got better over the last few years, healing my gut, and as long as I stuck with my, pro my protocol. If I went on holiday and forgot my supplements, like a lot of my symptoms would come back. But over the past six to 12 months, some of my symptoms have actually got worse again. And I, I put this up to three things. So early 2019, I left my job. So I'd be working part-time for many years in retail. Um, it's like three, two, three, four days a week. It was pretty flexible. So I could just work whenever, when I was studying nutrition. And I quit my job. I left my job and then I started working full-time from home. So I'd gone from being at home, like sleeping and a few hours every day, but then I'd be at work. Now I was working every single day at home, not really leaving the house because my business was really taking off. I was very busy. So I'd literally be in my home all day long. So that's one of the problems. I also have an online business. So I'm working all day, pretty much on my laptop or my phone. And I know from research that EMFs, so electromagnetic frequencies or fields, can cause um, the mold to proliferate. And mold produces 600 times more biotoxin when in the presence of EMF. And they've done studies where they put a Petri dish at the side of a Wi-Fi router or router, and it's really, it really just explodes. So the fact that I was on my laptop all day, I was at home all day, I think that's contributed as well. And I also got braces. And heavy metals, mold, infections, all go together. They all go hand in hand. So I got my braces, I think, middle of 2019. So I've had them like six to nine months now. And um, many pathogens, whether that is Lyme, viruses, bacteria, parasites, they use metals to get stronger. And you may have heard of like bacteria, 
they use iron as a growth factor so that's why you shouldn't really supplement with iron ongoing so those three things combined i think that's why some of my symptoms have got worse over the past few months not life not like debilitating or crippling in any way but just i was like oh why do i need to constantly take this supplement and high dose fish oil and support detoxification every day why do i need to be so strict with my anti-inflammatory um diet that removes a ton of food groups which i should be able to eat as a human being we should be able to eat a wide variety of foods but i couldn't and i started hearing and seeing much more on the subject of mold toxicity over the past few months particularly in the end from like september to december 2019 i was seeing it everywhere and i really think it's there was the universe sending me messages and I knew immediately that it was the problem that I was dealing with. But I was initially scared to look into it deeper because I just knew that it would be a whole can of worms that I'd be opening and I'd really have to make some serious um, changes in my life. And in, I think it was September 2019, I went to a conference in London and it was called Mold and Mast Cells. And I've known for a while that histamine intolerance or high histamine mast cell issues have been an issue for me. You may have read my blog post on this and seen me talk about this quite a lot. I, would, I just thought it was like genetic and it had improved a little bit, but there was still something going on. And when I attended that seminar, I didn't really love the content too much. I knew a lot of it by then. It was just basic stuff and it was for not only practitioners, but members of the public. So I didn't really love the content of that. I didn't get too much out of it. But as a guest at the attendee at the seminar, we got a complimentary test. And there was three options. So it was by the company Great Plains Labs, which is a US company. This was in London. There was either an environmental panel, an organic acid test, or a mycotoxin test. And I knew immediately I wanted the mycotoxin test. But with me being in London, it was like a whole weekend seminar. I wanted to do the test right away. I was like, I want to do it now. I'm not going to wait. But then I started to think, oh, maybe the location that the seminar was in was moldy and that would throw off my results. And a lot of the people there were had chronic health issues and they knew that the conference was moldy. It was like a very old building in the middle of London. And it's like a musty um, place. It was raining all weekend. So then I thought, right, I'll go home and I'll do the test then. But then I was thinking, oh, maybe because I've not been at home, it won't be accurate. So I had to wait a whole nother week which was frustrating because when I want to do something, I want it right now. As soon as I got home and I consciously walked through the door, I could smell the mustiness and the dampness. And I talk a bit about this later. Whenever I go on holiday, my symptoms improve. Whenever I come home, especially now that I've been more conscious and aware about the problem, I can smell the dampness. Because when you're in that place all the time, you really can't smell it. So I did the test. And then a few weeks later, I got the results and I had really bad anxiety when I was going to open it. I was both praying that it would be the problem, but then I didn't want it to be the problem because I knew how complex it can be. So I opened them up and a lot of mold species were elevated above ideal. One of them in particular was off the charts. So I think the upper limits was, I'll have to, I'll include a link to my um, lab results in the show notes so you can swipe up to view them but 
I think the reference range is like zero to 30, maybe zero to 50. Mine was 350 something for one species called mycophenolic acid, MPA, which is produced by penicillin, penicillin um, mold or fungus. And the main exposure is water damaged buildings. And this mycotoxin, MPA, is actually given as a drug, a medication to suppress the immune system of patients who have undergone an organ transplant. So we know that pharmaceutical medications can be derived from molds and funguses, so like penicillin antibiotics. This one, MPA, is used to suppress the immune system so it doesn't reject an organ. And it's used by people with um, Crohn's disease, I think, as well, inflammatory bowel, just to suppress the immune system. And I was being exposed to that through the air that I was breathing. And this is why a lot of my symptoms were occurring. And it made so much sense. As soon as I started researching about MPA and some of these other mold, um, I just knew it was a problem. And then since then, I've been in research mode, especially this past week. So like last week of February, I've hardly had any clients. I've just kind of blocked off my schedule and I've used it as a research week. And I had the luxury of doing that because I work for myself and I really use that time wisely because the next few weeks are going to be crazy with me moving and I'm getting back into my work again. I can't like not work, but I've just been in major research mode. Um, just trying to figure out all of this stuff for myself and it's getting better the research online, but you really need to dig into the hidden Google search because the first few pages, it's like mold illness doesn't exist. Um, these tests are a load of rubbish. It's all in your head. It's absolutely crazy. So now I want to run through all of the different signs that I had relating to mold. And this isn't going to be the classic mold allergy symptoms that people tend to think of. The type that I'm talking about is toxic chronic mold exposure and mold illness rather than a mold allergy. Mold allergy is just like sinusitis, runny nose, itchy skin. Mine is more of a systemic um, case. And I see it as the great mimicker. So Lyme disease is currently known, uh, also known as the great mim mimicker because people could be diagnosed with MS and chronic fatigue syndrome and autism. And they actually have Lyme disease or some of these other chronic um, self-infections. Please do not diagnose yourself with mold illness based on some of these symptoms. There can be hundreds of different conditions that can lead to some of these. I've ruled all of those out primarily and I just really know my stuff when it comes to my body but don't just jump into things when you hear oh I have that as well maybe I have mold work on the basic things and if you've got to a point where you're doing quote all the right things and it doesn't make sense that you're still symptomatic that's when you should look into it or if you visibly see mold in your home if your family members also struggle with issues then maybe it's worth looking into. But I highly recommend working with a practitioner on this. You can't even do this on your own. Even I have worked with um, specialist experts in this area. I've paid to go and see them and work with them online because I, I need some extra support, even as a nutritional therapist myself. And on the subject of testing, I didn't do any of the recommended tests for chronic inflammatory response syndrome or biotoxin illness. So there's things like um, VGF1 um, and some of these other histamine markers and VIP. 
I just didn't want to spend my money and time running all of those. I just know it is the problem. So I'd rather not spend the hundreds of pounds on testing. I'd rather spend money on treatment. I have mentioned a few of these. So I'll skip past the ones um, or just briefly touch on the ones that I've already mentioned. The first one was multiple food sensitivities to salicylates, histamines and nightshades. So if you put all of those lists together, there's a lot of foods that I can't tolerate. So just an example, salicylate, I don't do well with coconut or berries or dried fruit. Histamines, I can't tolerate fermented foods, aged meats, vinegars, citrus, nightshades, I can't tolerate potato, white potatoes, peppers, aubergines or eggplants. Um, so those all combined, a lot of those are like very healthy foods that most people should be able to tolerate. And symptoms that I'd experience from those would range. One of them is itching, especially on my scalp. So like the front part of my hairline, the sides of my nose would become very itchy. And sorry if TMI, but my um, bum would become very itchy when I ate things like oats, which can be contaminated with mold, any grains, and also, um, gluten obviously pesticides and it was oat milk that i was drinking and it was not organic and it wasn't certified gluten-free maybe that's my own fault and whenever i ate peanuts another really moldy food peanut butter i just love it i get an itchy vagina in the middle of the night like i would wake up just itching myself again sorry if tmi but i just want to show this it's important Another symptom of food sensitivity is where I get tightness in my chest after eating and I'd get like a, a crackly cough. I just need to clear my throat after eating. And this is due to the leukotrienes, which is a kind of a molecule that's released when you have like an inflammatory reaction. I think they come from mast cells, but don't quote me on that. I would get acne breakouts as a result of eating high histamine foods. And I'll link to the blog post on how I cleared my skin in seven days by eating less healthy. That was about how I realized that histamine rich foods were driving my acne. I cut them all out and then in a week my skin was clear. There's before and after pictures as well with that. I would get um, headaches, dizziness upon standing, anxiety, racing heart, hives on my cheeks here. When I'd eaten something I'd get them like two one to two days later so it's sometimes hard to pinpoint the foods i'd get joint pain in my hands my knuckles would feel really tight and i couldn't clench my fists properly especially after eating nightshades and sometimes i get di um, digestive issues i learned to control this pretty well and i was taking enzymes and probiotics so it wasn't as noticeable but either constipation or loose stools with food sensitivities I had another sign was that I had just very high histamine levels. This comes into the food sensitivity category. All the same symptoms I've, as I just mentioned, but I'd also noticed that I'd have the bad reaction to bug bites. As I said before, very itchy, swelling. They would last for weeks. They wouldn't heal. And I would just, they would really, I'd just try and avoid them as much as possible. So when I went, went on holiday, I would get a bug bite and I literally couldn't sleep all night because I was that itchy and that's not normal. I felt much better when taking antihistamines. I would sleep like a baby and a lot of my symptoms cleared up. Same with anti-inflammatories. 
particularly high dose fish oil. I think that really helped me and just improved a lot of my symptoms. But the brands that I use are very expensive and I would need to do like double dose of them. So it would just cost an arm and a leg to try and keep up with that. I would feel much better taking binders as well. And for the past few weeks when I've been trying to dive more into a detox, as much as I can detox while I'm still in this environment, so many of my symptoms have improved. My skin is the clearest it's ever been. I feel much lighter, less puffy. And another symptom of high histamine levels for me was incontinence. So I'd literally wet myself, which again, sorry TMI, but I don't really care at this point. Um, it would be the next day after eating something like um, aged beef, so a nice steak, maybe I had a little bit of avocado and um, some lemon juice or anything like that, I would wet myself the next day. So I'd get the sudden urge that I needed to urinate, but I couldn't hold it, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. And this happened for years when I was at work as well. And it would be so embarrassing. I'd literally run home on my break and get a change of pants. And it wouldn't be like fully wet myself, but quite a lot of um, quite a lot of urine. So I'm not great. And I remember going to the doctors for that. And he said I just needed to do more Kegel exercises. So I'll just leave that at there. I was sensitive again to a lot of moldy foods. These do cross over with the high histamine foods. So it's hard to know. But sometimes I was fine with certain things like coffee. Other times I would react very badly and I was unsure why, but now I know it's mold because these foods are very high in mold. So peanuts, mushrooms, coffee would be um, problematic for me. I had a low heart rate variability. So I track my sleep and my HRV with my aura ring. And with HRV, it's, it's better the higher, higher it is. So it stands for heart rate variability. And the higher, the better. And it indicates a parasympathetic tone. So the less stressed you are, the higher your HRV. And whenever I had high histamine foods, my HRV would be really bad. So it would be in the 60s, 70s, 80s, which for me isn't great. For me, ideally, it's like 150, which is really good. And same when I ate citric acid um, supplements. So certain powders that I was using contained citric acid. So like a prebiotic powder that I was using and an electrolyte powder had citric acid in there. Even if I took it first thing in the morning, my HRV would be um, completely plummeted. And there's an issue with um, citric acid and glutamines, glutamates in food for those with mast cell, mold, immune system disorders. And speaking of MSG, I had a severe reaction to MSG in July 2019. On Instagram, you may remember me talking about this, but if not, I went on a trip. I go on every year to Cornwall with my family. Uh, it's a place called Sentai's, which I absolutely love. And the, this year, the, well, last year, there was a new um, Thai restaurant, which I don't really eat Thai food. Um, and I know I have like a, a list of places that I know like, will cook really healthy foods and I tolerate really well when I'm there. Some of them were closed, so we had to find some new places. And I really wanted to try some Thai food because the menu looked pretty good. And there was lots of vegetables and high quality proteins in there. So on the final meal before we were to drive home the next day, which is a seven, eight hour drive, by the way, from where I live, we went out to eat. Me and my mum went to um, this Thai restaurant and I chose the tamari duck because I love anything like that. I love crispy duck. I love duck just overall. 
but Tamari Duck sounded really good. And it came and I tried it and immediately my brain lit up. I was obsessed with it. I would, I didn't stop talking about it like all that night. And that's really a weird sign. Like you shouldn't have an immediate um, reaction to it like that. Like I was obsessed and I actually wanted to order another portion and my mum told me not to because that's just greedy. But I'm so glad I didn't because I probably would have died. <laughs> but the next morning on my, I felt fine that whole entire night. And whilst I was eating it, by the way, because I was taking so long, so I was trying to savour it, the sauce that covered the ducks, duck started to congeal. And Thai food, Chinese food is known to use MSG quite a lot. And it's used as like a taste enhancer and like a thickener, I think, in the sauces. So it started to congeal. I still ate it anyway and then in the morning I felt a little bit off so my sleep that night was really bad um my HRV was really low and then I felt really nauseous and dizzy and lightheaded that morning we had to wake up at like 6am to drive back to Manchester and I just felt off and then in the car I was really tired and then a couple of hours in I just immediately um felt sick so I grabbed a bag I was sick I even had a lunchbox, which I really loved. And I was sick all in my lunchbox, which is really sad. But I was also having seizures. So all I remember is reaching for the bag to throw open. And then for the next half an hour or so, like, I don't remember. My mum was trying to drive down the motorway, down the M6. And she was trying to hold me up because I was leaning out the door and I almost opened the door on the motorway. Um, I had no idea what was going on. I was moving around. I was falling all over the place in the car, in the passenger seat. She was trying to drive and stop me from like letting myself out the door. But I was having seizures. My eyes were rolling back in my head. And I didn't have any food poisoning symptoms. So I was being sick. And there was actually blood in my vomit as well. I think it was because I was straining so much and I'd ripped something internally. And I was just having cyclical vomiting symptoms all that day. So from then on, I think this started around 10 a.m. up until like 6 p.m. Every 30 minutes I would vomit. Um, so this happened all the journey home and then into the evening as well. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. The next day I was perfectly fine. If, you, if I have food poisoning, I get digestive issues. So I get diarrhea, I get bloating, not just the vomiting. So that's what made me think like something's not right here. This isn't typical food poisoning. But for a while, I didn't really know what caused it. I think I must have just had a virus or something. But I knew it was something to do with the, um, the meal that I had. I just intuitively knew. So I emailed the restaurant and just asked them, do you use MSG in your meals? And they said, yes. Then the research started. And what I found was that I've always had a MSG sensitivity, but because I eat really healthy and I never eat takeaways or anything like that anymore. Um, my body was just like so clean. I don't like to use that word, but when I ate that one meal, and it wasn't even like a takeaway junk food style. It was like a really nice restaurant, but my body wasn't used to this chemical. And even using L-glutamine supplements in the past, when I first started to try and heal my gut, I would use L-glutamine powder because I heard that that's like the best thing ever. And I got a migraine and I got really irritable and had a bad reaction to that. 
So maybe I've always had this MSG reaction and then that meal just tipped me over the edge. And MSG monosodium glutamate is found in a ton of things, but it's neurotoxic. So it kind of affects your brain cells and it calls excite, I can't say the word, but it calls your brain cells to excite, excitatory, I think. So it stimulates the brain. That's why it gave me that immediate dopamine hit and I love the meal, but then it stimulated my brain too much. My brain was also very inflamed at that point because I've been living in a moldy building for many years. And when you have brain inflammation, when you have mold toxicity, your blood brain barrier, not only your gut barrier, your blood brain barrier also becomes leaky. So you don't just have leaky gut, you have leaky brain as well. And you need certain nutrients to process MSG, particularly CoQ10. Your liver needs to be working properly. I had a lot of liver congestion because of these things. And then that caused, it, caused my brain to just explode and cause this massive inflammatory reaction, caused me to vomit, try and get out of my system. I was having seizures. and in extreme circumstances, like people have died. Like there's things of um, the stories of college athletes and they're going to be like very healthy and some people have died from MSG toxicity. And there's a thing called Chinese restaurant syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they use, especially the, the junk food places, they use a lot of MSG and it can really mess up a lot of people. And then after that trip, um, I started noticing blood in my urine in a cyclical pattern as well. So since July 2019, I've only noticed it three times. But every couple of months, I'll get a week of blood in my urine. And it's not like when I wipe, there's blood there. It's just that my urine is bright pink and like a, sometimes a, a dark pink colour. And... I went to the doctors, I got an ultrasound, I had no pain, no kidney issues, anything like that. But I was just really concerned. It would just be in a cyclic pattern, then it'd clear up. Nothing showed on my ultrasound, but now I know that mold affects the kidneys and the urinary system. I also feel much better when I'm away from home. Like I said, when I was in Cornwall, a lot of my symptoms did improve. Apart from that, I don't know if I was detoxing and it was finally getting into my system, then the MSG tipped it over the edge on the last day. But I notice less fogginess, more energy, better sleep. My sleep scores are much better. I'm happier. I'm less reactive to certain foods and caffeine. So I would have coffee every day. I wouldn't get anxious. Um, I could go out to eat and I didn't have to be super strict with my food. Um, and I just felt like I could tolerate things better when I'm away from home. That can sometimes be people say, oh, it's because you're less stressed. But I wasn't really stressed at the time anyway. I just felt like exactly the same. I was probably even more stressed because I wasn't able to work um, and see clients for a week. But And then when I return home from trips, over the past couple of years, like the past year or so, now that I've become more aware of these things, I can smell the mustiness, the dampness when I come back into my home. A couple of days usually isn't enough. So if you go out for a weekend and come back, you probably can't notice it. But for me... At that four to seven day mark, I can really notice it. But then an hour in, I can't smell it anymore because mold suppresses your senses. It suppresses your smell, your taste. It affects your brain. And it's the same with people who work in like the sewage plants or bin men. They, after a while, they don't notice the terrible smells. Um, so that's what's going on. That's why people say, oh no, my house is fine. Like I don't smell anything at all. Or they mask it with air fresheners 
um, they don't notice it at all. But then when someone comes in, so maybe a good thing to try is to have someone come around to your house who doesn't spend a lot of time there and ask them, do they smell mustiness or dampness? Tell them you're not going to be, um, you're not going to be upset with them, but just a good thing to test out. And speaking of smells, I would have like a, a damp, musty smell when I was hot or warm. Again, don't care if this is too much information. I don't know if it's my body or my clothes, but when I say went to the gym or went for a, a long walk outside and got quite hot, I'm a bit of a sweaty person. My underwear, so my bra, my knickers, smelt damp and I had to change them. So even if I just went for a walk, my underwear would smell pretty damp and I need to change them immediately. So I don't know if that's coming from me or just my clothes. When they got hot and kind of humid, it starts to smell that damp smell. In my kitchen, where I suspect that some dampness on the wall, there's some watermarks that they, when we are cooking something, they just tend to flare up a little bit. So I suspect, and they're on the opposite wall to the boiler. So maybe that's another place that's got the damage. Food would turn moldy in the kitchen very quickly. And we were blaming it on like the supermarkets and the grocery stores to begin with, but it's probably our kitchen. Um, so we'd leave some fruits and vegetables on the table and within two days they start to be going moldy even in winter but particularly in summer months we we really had to be careful of that and we were throwing a lot of things away but if there's mold spores in the air then they're going to go straight to the uh, fresh produce and start to decompose that now on to lab markers so again if you have some of these things don't automatically blame it on mold take a health history, work with someone and figure out whether this is right for you. And as a bit of a geek that I am, I do functional lab tests quite regularly on my health, just like an MLT. I do them at least once a year. But in the past six to 12 months, I've been doing them a little bit more just because I was investigating and trying to figure things out. Starting off with my stool test. So I use the GI map by Diagnostic Solutions Lab. Not sponsored in any way, but I just love that test. In July 2018, um, I think that was one of the first stool tests that I did. One of the first GI maps, sorry, I'd done stool tests prior and I had the parasites and all of that. But my secretory IgA, which is your gut immune system, so it's like a thick mucus that lines your entire digestive tract. It protects your gut from becoming leaky. It fights off infections when you pick them up. Mine was the lowest that I've ever seen and the lowest that the lab um, had ever seen. So it was 37. Bearing in mind that the reference range starts at 500. Ideally, I want to see that one to 2000. So my immune system was very, very, very suppressed. Remember that I have a mold species called mycophenolic acid that's job is to suppress the immune system. This meant that I can't, this means that I can't fight infections properly. I would notice that SIBO would reoccur for a while. Um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth I would clear it and then it would come back I haven't tested it recently I wouldn't be surprised if it's there again but that just means that I'm wide open for a ton of parasites and candida and yeast to come on board and I can't fight not normal infections I can't keep bacteria in check so on my scalp I have um, seboric dermatitis and have had for a while I notice when I eat high histamine foods it flows up so it's like a dandruff or a dermatitis that affects the hairline and it's 
becomes really flaky and red and itchy. It's not as bad now, but it's always there. So it just looks like constant dandruff in like the first part of my um, hairline. And that's due to your immune system not being able to regulate the yeast on your skin. Same with acne. So we all have bacterial yeast on our skin, but when your immune system suppressed, it can't regulate or control those infections and they're allowed to proliferate. And it leads to acne, clogged pores, dermatitis, itchiness. So that's what was going on with me. And on my stool test as well, the more work that I did on my gut, the worse my, the worse my results became. So the first test that I did, yes, I had very low secretory IgA levels. Um, I still had a parasite. I had some bacteria imbalances and some poor digestion. But I'd do a round of treatment. So I'd do some antimicrobials and probiotics. I'd retest and there was something else. So then H. pylori popped up. And then I'd try and address that. Then Candida popped up. And then the most recent one that I did, I think, in early 2019, I had four autoimmune triggers. So I started with two. Then I had three, then I had four. And I was like, what the hell? Why is it getting worse? I didn't know if it was because of them being hidden for a long period of time. And when you, you can start to work on these things, they do come to the, the surface or the forefront. They're like hidden away in the lining of your gut. And then as you start to heal, they come to the surface. That can happen very frequently, but that didn't make sense to me, um, for me. And... I don't know if it's because the, the herbs that I were using were antibacterial. I'm not sure. I'm just speculating, but I think I was killing things off and then that was allowing the mold to proliferate. Maybe my immune system was a little bit suppressed because of all of the killing herbs that I was doing and then that allowed the mold to proliferate. Or it's just uncovering a ton of infections that are deep, very deep into my system. Um, let's see what else. On stool test... Yeah, I've just had a lot of infections on stool tests. I've also done an organic acid test early 2019, which is a urine test, and that looks at more systemic issues, um, bacteria and yeast overgrowth. And I had high yeast marker in 2019, and that's more of a systemic one. So at that point, my stool test didn't show yeast, but when it's gone into the bloodstream and other parts of the body, and it can also correlate with mold as well. And the organic acid test does check for a few mold markers, but they were fine for me. But this one marker was elevated and that can be either candida or mold. Um, and then blood work. So on my blood work in, I think, 2019 as well, when I started to dig a little bit deeper, I had very low FSH and LH levels. Usually, because I have PCOS, usually LH is quite high. There's a condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which suppresses your FSH and LH, and it means that you don't have a period. I was still cycling. I've been cycling for years now since I got my period back um, every month. But my FSH and LH level on cycle day three was below the reference range. And that's because mold suppresses hormones and it can inflame the brain and affect the pituitary function. So I was cycling, everything was fine. It looked like I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, but the mold was actually suppressing my pituitary, pituitary gland, which is needed to send the message to my ovaries to produce some of these hormones. I also had a suppressed fasting insulin. Again, with PCOS, you'd 
expect to see that high. So I'm, um, it would be high with insulin resistance. The reference range, ideal, optimal, would be between three and five in the UK labs. Mine was like a one or a two. So it didn't make sense at all. And I'd done testing with continuous blood glucose monitors. You may have followed my journey as well, the one that I had implanted into my arm. And my readings after eating were crazy. So I was definitely insulin resistant, but my brain, my brain signals weren't working correctly. And when it gets very low, it can be a sign of um, pancreas dysfunction and even like type 1 diabetes, which I don't have. But it's just another sign that my brain wasn't working correctly. Um, and with mold illness, it can increase leptin resistance. So leptin is the hormone that's released when your body senses satiety and fullness. But with mold, that gets shut off. So it's like your body's constantly needing food. So that can make people excessively hungry, but it can also cause a lot of weight gain or weight loss resistance because your body's just lost the natural signals that it needs to keep in check. So um, I'm above my ideal weight at the moment. I had to gain a lot of weight to get my period back. But since then, I find it really hard to lose the weight, particularly around my abdomen and my, my thighs. So that indicates with the abdomen, insulin resistance and stress, both of which can be caused by mold. The lower part of the body is more of that pear-shaped and hips, bum and thighs. For me, um, that indicates estrogen dominance and mold can have a really big effect on estrogen. So it's, they're called mycoestrogens or like endocrine disrupting chemicals because they can mimic estrogen in the body like plastics can, like skincare products can. So the weight gain on my hips, bum and thighs was due to high estrogen levels. And on my Dutch test, it was showing that my estrogen was quite high from where I was in the cycle. And this is because mold stimulates aromatase activity, which is the enzyme that converts androgens or testosterone, DHEA, into estrogen. And on my Dutch test, my testosterone was very low, like postmenopausal range. That's because mold can affect the pituitary and reduce testosterone levels, especially in women, we don't want it too high, but too low is also a problem because it can cause weight loss resistance, inability to gain or retain muscle, anxiety, um, low libido, vaginal dryness, those types of things. So this was um, causing my testosterone to be converted into estrogen, which is leading me to be estrogen dominant, which is um, common in PCOS as well. And I've been learning that there's a probably big connection with mold illness and PCOS, especially for those of you who feel like you're doing a lot of things. And yeah, just ongoing hormonal imbalances. I'm a hormone nutritionist, but still couldn't figure it out. I have PCOS, um, mold can affect the pancreas and therefore insulin production. It can affect the pituitary, as I mentioned, but the entire, the HPA OT axis, which is the hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal, ovarian, thyroid axis. It can affect everything. And I was chronically low in progesterone. So I was getting a period every month, but there were some months over the past six months that I just did not ovulate at all. So I would, um, my body would try to ovulate, but then I'd test my progesterone and it was like flatline. This is because my body is trying to protect me against having a baby because the environment isn't safe. So it's a perceived stress from my body. 
and it was trying to just keep my internal organs working keep my immune system functioning and not divert a ton of energy and resources into potentially having a baby which is a very demanding process very stressful um so my progesterone my progesterone was chronically low and with pcos that drives all of the pcos symptoms that i can list so hirsutism facial hair growth hair loss on the head acne weight issues usually driven by low progesterone levels which isn't good and then i tried bioidentical progesterone cream and it made me worse so it exacerbated my symptoms um i think it delayed my period and it gave me worse pms it gave me worse acne and it caused water retention and i've read it somewhere that there is a connection with mold and worsening symptoms with bioidenticals but i can't remember exactly why i think it's because the progesterone gets shunted into androgen or cortisol production so it's just exacerbated my symptoms and i'm trying to manipulate a particular hormone and enzyme but when you put something in the body like a vitamin a hormone or a nutrient you can't control where it goes so i was trying to increase progesterone with a cream and it was being shuttled into something else and causing a deeper problem on every dutch test that i've done as well over the past three years um i have very high dhea dhea levels and this is an adrenal androgen and it's a longevity hormone that is produced to try and protect me against long-term chronic stress. So cortisol is a good hormone in small amounts, but when it becomes excessive, it starts to damage tissues. Therefore your body upregulates DHEA to try and protect that from happening. So the stress, physical stress of having mold in my environment was causing my adrenals to be on overdrive. Remember that DHEA is an androgen so that was causing PCOS symptoms for me. That's preventing me from ovulating as well. That was contributing to acne, hair loss on the head, facial hair growth. I'd rather it be high than too low because when it's too low, that can just cause like chronic fatigue. So maybe after a while, it would have started to be depleted. But I think it's because I'm so young and I take care of myself as well as I can. Um, that's kind of a good thing. So yes, it has some side effects, but I'd rather DHEA be too high. My DHEAS is always very low and this can, this can cause issues with sulfation. I know that mold can affect that. And it's just a sign of chronic inflammation, especially having low testosterone as well. The past few months, my thyroid antibodies have been elevated, indicating Hashimoto's, both TPO, thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin. And even looking back on lab work from a few years ago before I started to interpret them, and run them for myself when i had nhs testing i had thyroid antibodies checked once and they were elevated at that point too and i hadn't noticed and i was told that they were in normal ranges so i was like fine but looking back they were definitely elevated above ideal indicating um, hashimoto's and with any autoimmune condition there's always a genetic aspect like i know my mum has it and probably my grandmothers have it as well had it as well but environmental stresses, whether it's an infection or it's a car accident or a bereavement or mold, can usually be the trigger for autoimmune conditions to um, start. And there's a big connection with thyroid issues and mold as well, which I've come to realize. I had frequent or have frequent urination, um, waking up in the night. And this could be due to the um, insulin resistance, poor blood glucose control, because when there's high sugar in the system, your body will urinate to try and dilute that and get that out because it can become damaging to the 
cells and the arteries. Um, but mold also has an effect on antidiuretic hormone, and that means that the body can't control fluids correctly. So this is ADH that produce, is produced by the adrenals, I think, or the kidneys. And it just means that you can't hold on to your fluids. So you're like chronically dehydrated, even though you're drinking like a gallon of water every day. So yeah, weight loss resistance, especially in the abdomen and the thighs. And I'm still like 10 pounds over my ideal weight, like what's healthy for me. I'm not doing this for like aesthetics or anything. I just know my body and I know that I'm very puffy at the moment. Even though I eat amazingly, I strength train four to five times a week. It just does not make sense. And I'm going to be taking some progress pictures when I move out and I'll show you how my body is going to change because I just know it will. I had, I have or had high cholesterol in 2019. It was above six. That's around 232 milligrams per deciliter for those of you in the US, which even I'd say is too high. The NHA reference range is definitely too high, but they say like four is good. Ideal for me is a five, and this could be due to the effects on my thyroid because the lower function your thyroid is, the higher your cholesterol tends to be. But it's also elevated due to inflammation and metabolic issues in my system, the high blood sugar, high insulin, high inflammation, cholesterol tends to rise for that as well. I had low blood pressure for many years. I would get dizzy upon standing when my health was really bad. So like five years ago when I had the issues with um, my gut and my hormones and amenorrhea, I once had a blood pressure reading at work for a wellness MOT thing that they did. And this is when I was really underweight. I was like 58 kilograms, which for me at 5'11", is just way underweight. One day my blood pressure was 60 over 40. Bearing in mind that healthy is like 120 over 80. And anything above, anything below 70, I think, is considered shock. So I was literally trying to work my shift, eight-hour shift at work, and my blood pressure was severely depleted. Usually it would hover around the 80 over something, or the 90 over 80, but at 90 over 50, something like that. But I've been to my doctors many times. I even bought a blood pressure monitoring kit to keep an eye on it myself. My doctors told me it was because I was tall. And because I was athletic and healthy. Again, not going to comment because it's very frustrating and I just hate things like that. I've always been prone to fainting, as we've spoken about. I get really dizzy when I push myself too hard at the gym. So I hired a personal trainer for the past few um, months to try and um, work on my fitness and my strength. But she would push me a little bit too hard and I would almost pass out, especially if I go from like sitting to standing my blood pressure would immediately drop, my heart rate would increase, and I just feel like, like I need to sit down, otherwise I'm going to pass out. And then in the next day, if I'd pushed it too much, my skin would be terrible, I would get a headache afterwards, and I would be more puffy than usual. So exercise is great, but it is a stressor, especially if you've got mast cell, histamine, and inflammatory conditions, you need to take it easier. Histamine is also a vasodilator, so it expands the blood vessels, and that's what can cause a sudden drop of blood pressure when you stand up. And in more extreme cases, this is why people can like pass out when they have an allergic react reaction to something. For the past few weeks as well, I've been doing some detoxification support with like three to four times a week coffee enemas and herbs and binders. 
liver support to try and just suppress some symptoms while I get out the environment. But this has been happening more frequently. So after a coffee enema, I get really lightheaded sometimes and I feel quite weak and fragile for the rest of the day. Um, but this is a sign that things are being mobilized for my fat tissue, um, even my bones and my organs. So it's kind of not a great symptom, but something that I ne needed to deal with. And speaking of coffee enemas, you may know that I'm like a major advocate for them. And when I first did them, they changed my life. That's why I've been harping on about them so much. But I started to realize like people weren't getting the same benefits. Like they didn't really notice as much of a benefit as I did. The first time I did it, it changed the game for me. My brain felt so clear. It felt like the windscreen wipers had come on in my brain. And I was like, what the hell? Why is no one like loving them as much as I do? I feel so much um, lighter. I feel like my productivity was so much better. And I didn't think that I had brain fog, but I really did. I would at times find it difficult to recall words. I had so much difficulty with podcast recording sometimes. I'd need to stop every 10 seconds, edit it out. Um, just basic words like chur, I couldn't think of. Like I'd be searching like, what is the word I'm thinking of? And it would take me a while. And for someone who's 25, that's not a good sign. But I had the best response to coffee enemas. And I think it was because my liver was just so congested. My nervous system, my brain was so inflamed. I just felt really great getting that stuff out of it, but they've been a lifesaver. I also have a fungal toenail, which I've had for years. Not like a terrible one, it's just slightly yellow. Um, my dad has really bad fungal issues on but all of his fingernails and pretty much all of his toenails, like really terrible, horrible yeast. And um, that's another sign of systemic candida, which is common with mold toxicity. They're both types of fungus. My family members have a ton of immune issues as well. I've spoken about some of them. My dad's hives, his fungal rashes lately because they're dealing with mold at the business as well. Um, he's had a lot of fatigue, anemia, and we did a stool test on him a couple of years ago now just to see what's going on. He didn't really have any digestive complaints, but he had extremely high fungus or yeast in his gut. The normal levels for this particular one was less than 300. His level was 10 million. So one with seven zeros on the end. Absolutely crazy. And he actually craves a lot of junk food, processed food. And um, he has a lot of, not a lot, but he drinks alcohol, so beer, which is fermented yeast. And he really struggles to stay on track with his protocols because the yeast is basically telling his brain to feed, like eat more sugar, have the pints of beer. So I feel sorry for him, but there could be so many things that he's doing. And with my mom, she has the Hashimoto's, she has asthma that she has for a child, but she still can't, she needs to take her inhaler frequently. And she has Hashimoto's and we've managed to lower her antibodies quite significantly with a gluten-free diet, gut healing, and also removing her metal amalgams. But her antibodies are still in the 100 range and we've struggled to get them down. I think it's because of the mold. On another test called HTMA, my sodium was very elevated. And this doesn't mean that I'm eating too much in my food, 
it means that I'm inflamed and my body is very stressed. There were some other imbalances on there as well. I had high arsenic. We know that heavy metals can go alongside with um, mold. And I didn't have braces on at the time, so I suspect that my metals have elevated since that point. Sleep-wise, I was saying that my heart rate variability was really low. Um, my REM sleep is pretty bad as well. So this is the the state of sleep where I think mm, memories are consolidated. And it's more like neurological healing, and this is the time when you dream as well. So I literally do not dream. And this could be due to a B6 deficiency. I constantly need to supplement with B6. Mold can cause some nutrient deficiencies, but mold can also affect sleep quality and REM sleep due to low levels of a hormone called MSH, mel melanocyte stimulating hormone. So just another thing that I've learned, I have the genetic predisposition that puts me at risk of autoimmunity and mold illness, which is the HLA-DQ gene. 24-25% of the population have this. Mold can affect everyone regardless of your genetics when it's chronic and it's in very high amounts but those of us with this gene our body doesn't detect it and then it causes havoc on the system as well. I have hypermobile joints something that I've always had since being a child. I've never like dislocated or anything but I'm really flexible. I'm great at yoga. I can do the splits. Um, I can bend my thumbs back. I can hyperextend my knees and my um, elbows. And a couple of years back as well, I was doing a lot of yoga because I couldn't really do any other exercise. And I was doing it like three to four times a week. And I really started to notice a huge um, detriment to my knees. I thought I was coming down with rheumatoid arthritis or something because it was that painful. I couldn't kneel down. I couldn't bend down, bend my legs. And it was because I was constantly overstretching my limbs and then it caused massive inflammation. So I had to stop the yoga and start to strength train more. And mold can affect the extracellular matrix, the cell membranes and collagen synthesis. And this can be seen in many chronic illnesses like Lyme disease, mold illness, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, cancers, as well as hypermobility syndromes like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. A lot of these tend to go hand in hand again. It's not the only cause, but for me, I think mold and my genetics, maybe it's a two-way street that I have the genetics that put me at risk of mold or mold is causing these problems as well. And mold can also create an activation of metalloproteinases such as MMP9, which is one of the markers that's tested in blood work. This is involved in the degradation of extracellular matrix, which allows the immune cells to kind of flood in. On testing as well, particularly the Dutch test and the organic acid test. My glutathione is always very low, but I have a bad reaction to glutathione supplementation. I get migraines, I get headaches, I feel um, all of my histamine symptoms get worse. This is because glutathione can be high in histamine, but it was too much too soon. All of my detox pathways were blocked up because of the mold. And then I was mobilizing things too quickly with a high quality glutathione liposomal supplement. And that was just causing too much um, detoxification all at once. Same happened when I first took N-acetylcysteine, NAC, not as severe, because it's a less strong version. But when I started supplementing with molybdenum, which is a trace mineral needed for the processing of glutathione and sulfur, 
then I did much better and I could tolerate the NAC again. At first I would get headaches, I would get very bloated and digestive cramps, but after a while it really worked well for me, NAC. Still not with glutathione just yet, but I'm working on that very slowly. And mold affects NRF2, which is an enzyme needed for many internal antioxidants to be produced. So glutathione, um, catalase and, and superoxide dismutase. So mold suppresses your own natural defense systems. So that was why my glutathione was really low. Or it could be that I was burning through my stores rapidly because mold was causing a lot of inflammation in my system. I had adrenal dysfunction. So the first Dutch test that I did, my cortisol, DHEA and free cortisol was off the charts, really high. I didn't really have much stress at that point. I had some gut infections, but it didn't make sense. I worked on that. I did some meditation, some calming herbs. The next time it looked fine, but my DHEA was still very high. And then the most recent one that I did in 2019, my cortisol was actually pretty low. My DHEA was still high. So it's like my body is whirring down a little bit. It's been under chronic stress for a long period of time now. When that DHEA finally drops, that's when I'd be in more of an adrenal fatigue state, which I want to avoid. And it's not that my adrenals like give up and were, were, are worn out. It's that my brain is like, we can't do this any longer. Like turn off adrenal production, make her so tired that she has to be in bed all day. And in... 20 at the end of 2019 when daylight saving daylight savings happened in places like the uk when the clocks go um back it really affected me this year i couldn't function after like 3 to 4 p.m which isn't like me and i was just so tired all the time it did regulate after a while and it's getting better now that the sun is out for longer i just do so much better outdoors i just love going for walks it just really clears my head but overall, my cortisol pattern is still pretty good. It's just on the low side of normal this past year. Um, I also had elevated A2HDG markers on the organic acid and the Dutch test, which is an oxidative stress marker. Back in July 2018, on my Dutch test, my A2HDG marker was concerningly high. And the Dutch team even said that for my age. I was like 23 at the time it was really too high. When it is extreme, it can be a sign of cancer and oxidative stress. But at that time, I was eating a lot of histamine-rich foods because I hadn't really figured that out. So my body was just very, very, very inflamed. I retested a, a year later and it had come back into normal range, but still high normal, not where I'd want it. And I haven't been able to resolve that just yet because of the environment that I'm in. And then last one is a bad reaction to certain supplements, so glutathione being one of them, the citric acid being another, and Saccharomyces boulardii, which is usually sold to be hypoallergenic, well-tolerated, great for histamine intolerance. But for me, it would cause really bad reactions. I would get the headaches again and the bloating. I would get hives on my face. My acne would be terrible. And I was like, oh, it's just a detox reaction. I'll push through it. It's causing some things to die off. But it's because it's a yeast and I was adding that into a very high yeast system or mold or fungus, whatever you want to call it. It was just causing too much of a problem. So they would be, I know it's been a long episode. Um, there's probably some things that I've missed. Again, brain isn't functioning 100% capacity at the moment. But it's currently 29th of February 2019, uh, 2020, oh my God, 2020, like I said. 
I'm hopefully moving at the end of March. Fingers crossed, but it keeps getting pushed back. I need to learn to be patient, especially over the next few months. I really want to be well for my holidays later in the year. I'm going to LA um, with my friend Cassie in May, and I just want to be healthy and be able to eat all of the nice healthy foods, go to Erwan, eat all of the green juices and avocado and all of that. And same when I go back to Cornwall in July, I don't want the same thing to happen. I don't know whether I'm going to have that same meal. I might use it as an experiment, but let's let's find out. I don't want another experience like last time. And I have been dealing with some anxiety recently. It's anxiety provoking knowing that I'm living in the environment that's not right and it's making me sick. It's called sick building syndrome. And I keep telling my parents like how excited I am. I can't wait to move out. I get really annoyed when they tell me that it's been pushed back. And that makes them feel really bad because they're like, oh, we're doing this. Like it's our fault, like blaming me again. My mum in particular gets very defensive about this type of stuff especially when I talk about the breastfeeding thing and vaccinations and living in a moldy house, she like gets really angry and defensive and she thinks it's her fault, which it is not. Like if they knew this years ago, they would have done something about it. And I've also ordered a ton of furniture because I thought I was moving in in January time. So I've got a ton of furniture and things in my house, which I'm like, oh, it's getting cross-contaminated. And we've rented a lockup as well like a storage unit to put my table and chairs and things in because everything's been ordered and it's on its way and the storage unit that I've that we're using is very moldy I can tell it's like an old factory it just smells I went into the bathroom there and there was like white fungus coming out the wall and I was like oh we can't store it in here but they'd already paid for it and I was trying to cover it in blankets and things to try and protect it. And it seems like I'm very obsessive and paranoid. And I am. And it's because I just want to get better. And I don't want to contaminate my new home with mouldy furniture. I know that I can't avoid it completely. And I can't hyper control everything. But I just, like, my goal is my health. Like, it's my number one priority. So I'm trying to do all that I can to prevent me continuously being sick. So I'm going to have to loop through some of my things and decide how I'm going to clean them and what I'm going to take with me for definite. I might just pace it, do a few things like the bare minimum, live as a minimalist for a few months. And I think there's a lot of stigma around mold illness as well because it is an invisible illness. And to the average person, I look very healthy, but you can tell from that huge list of symptoms, there's probably more, but there's a lot going on in my body. And I always think like, oh, I'm the healthiest person ever. Like how how do my friends like eat junk food and seem to be just fine but if I was to eat like that I would I would be in so much of a worse state so although I'm trying really hard and I'm not 100% perfect I was thinking like oh is it even worth trying to eat this organic food but I would be so depressed I would have a face full of acne I would I would probably I'm not joking like when my health was really bad I felt suicidal so I don't think I'd actually be here without the support of my parents I'm actually getting a little bit upset now but yeah I just think it's a really difficult thing and people think that um mold illness is something that is um visible and it's not like you you could have mold illness in your home and not actually see that and it could just be a constant drain on the system especially in places like the UK and certain parts of the US when it's humid especially in the 
um, places like Florida in the US or places with hurricane damage and in the US the UK were like on a floating island in the middle of the ocean and it's always raining it's always dark and I've just been noticing so much more that this is a root cause this is a true root cause it's not that you have um, you don't eat enough cruciferous vegetables it's not that you don't move enough it's sometimes that you have this chronic condition so in next week's episode I'm going to be showing updates. So by then, I hope I would have moved. I would have been a few weeks into my protocol on healing. I've got a whole list of things that I'm trying out. I'm doing an intense detox before I go on holiday in May. So we'll be fast forwarding into the future next week. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope it doesn't seem like I've been hiding all of this from you on social media over the past few months. But I'm the type of person who needs to know exactly what I'm dealing with before I share that otherwise it can get confusing and I've not got everything straight I've I've really sat down and thought about all of this and I truly believe that this is a really bad situation but it's helping me it's teaching me lesson and it's educating me to help other people as well so I remember looking back when I had all of those issues health issues with my gut and my hormones my mum would constantly tell me this is something that's happening um, for you not to you this is you're going to use this to help other people there's a silver lining involved so i just need to keep that in the back of my mind as well people think as a nutritional therapist like oh, you should be in perfect health you can't help other people if you've got a health issue and sometimes i have that imposter syndrome but i understand that i only need to be one step ahead of someone to help them out and help them along the way so i need to learn to calm down be patient be less of a perfectionist get out of my own way like get rid of the ego mentality so if you're still listening to this an hour and however long an hour and 30 that it's been thank you so much i truly appreciate you um and yeah we'll speak to you next week i really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone friendly recipes guide please leave me a rating and review and i will email you a copy as a thank you gift all you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com this guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes, and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health, as I share a ton of free content every day, and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.